From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Despite the rebounding economy, the number of Americans who may not have enough food to eat is higher than pre-recession levels, standing at 6.9 million homes with about 17 million people. That's prompting a fresh look at how well government food and nutrition programs aimed at the most vulnerable populations really work. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ agriculture and food reporter Ellen Ferguson. Ellen, the government spends more than $100 billion a year on 15 food and nutrition programs. A new report from a congressionally appointed commission suggests these efforts aren't reaching as many people as they might. That's correct. Uh, Essentially what the commission looked at is how can they make these programs more effective within the existing funding stream and within the existing uh, organization of, of programs. So they looked primarily at SNAP, which is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as food stamps, because that is the largest domestic food aid program that we have. And they made several suggestions, but they also included some of the smaller programs to try and make this more effective outreach and also to help people who are trying to work their way off the programs into the regular work world. This report identifies seven categories of people who appear to be at particularly high risk. Uh, Who are we talking about? The groups are probably not surprising in general, although there are a couple of of groups that will surprise you. People who've been incarcerated, um, single-parent households, people with disabilities. In fact, one commissioner said the people with disabilities seem to really kind of drive the number of people who remain on food stamps or SNAP because they have a hard time getting jobs. And when they do get jobs, they get low-paying jobs, and it's just harder for them to move up. And then the group that is, I think, probably will catch a lot of people um, by surprise, veterans and people who are active military personnel. Right now, the data for that is kind of not very well developed. Um, There was a study that was done in 2012 of Afghan and Iraq war veterans, and they found about 1% to 2% of active military personnel, probably lower-ranking enlisted, younger people who've got families um, who aren't earning that much, and veterans, about, uh, I think it was about 7% of veterans who were at risk and who were actually receiving SNAP benefits. The um, thing that they would like for um, the Department of Defense and Veterans Affairs to do or to work better, to uh, work more closely to get better data so that we have a more accurate picture of that and try to figure out if there are things that can be done before people get to that point. And they also make a suggestion on SNAP. If you're active military and you live off base, you get a housing allowance. And typically, if you're applying for SNAP or any kind of um, uh, social welfare program, that gets factored in, counted as income. And what the commission said is, no, we really shouldn't do that. What we should do is kind of exclude that and just really look at the money coming into the household that could actually be used for food. And that way, families that are in need could qualify. Now, um, not surprising that SNAP 
um, the former food stamps, which reaches almost 45 and a half million people, is a perennial source of uh, debate here. We've written so many stories about conservatives who want to tighten eligibility requirements, liberals who want more generous benefits and longer transition periods for people who leave the program. Uh, beyond the recommendation that you just spoke of, what else does the commission think should be done? Well, the commission tried to marry both approaches. All the recommendations that they made were by consensus. The commission started out with 10 members, one member resigned, so it's nine members. So if the nine of them couldn't agree on an approach, it wasn't a recommendation. They talk about things like there are a percentage uh, of people on SNAP who are already working. The majority of people on SNAP are children, so they're not working. You also have disabled, the elderly, and then you have people who are working. But then you also have people who are unemployed. So they said, well, we should encourage states to be more innovative and to come up with effective job training programs for those who are unemployed, and also with programs that help people who are working improve their skills so they can move up. So that's sort of been the conservative approach, the emphasis on work. The um, other thing they, they talked about was people who are working, let's give them a longer extension period so that they are encouraged to move up and they don't face the sudden loss of, of this kind of backup for them because they would have to take on food costs uh, once they leave SNAP and they need a transition period. And that seemed to be something that, uh, that kind of melds a conservative and liberal approach in that it encourages people to work, but it just doesn't toss them off the program. And, and then you wind up having people kind of yo-yo off and on because they're taking on these extra costs and up to a certain point they can do it and then they can't. The panel also threw an interesting wrinkle into the debate by talking about the nutritional quality of the foods available to SNAP recipients. Um, I presume the beverage industry isn't likely to be very happy about this, right? I think that's a proper uh, presumption. And also unhappy, unlikely to be happy with it, are some of the anti-hunger advocates and liberals and progressives. Because one of the conservatives' concerns have been about the kinds of foods that poor people buy or are able to buy with, uh, with SNAP. And the concern of the anti-hunger advocates and liberals is that we're trying to set a, a separate uh, and unequal sort of tier uh, when it comes to food that we're going to say to poor people, well, everyone else can eat this, but not you, because you're getting federal funds. But they did take on sugary beverages because that is a concern among nutritionists and um, food advocates, that a large share of unwanted and unnecessary calories are consumed in these sugary beverages, and that that's not something that the federal government should support, particularly since it helps contribute to obesity. It's not the sole cause, but it's one of those unthinking sources of, of calories that people consume, and they never are able to make the connection that it increases obesity, or the likelihood of obesity contributes to it, and that it also um, contributes to chronic conditions that are associated with obesity, like diabetes. Now, a child nutrition law that sets policies for school lunch, women, infants, and children, and some other nutrition programs expired last September. Uh, what are the odds the current Congress will have time to renew it and maybe incorporate some of these ideas? Well, uh, I think I can't give you odds on that because it's always difficult with Congress. But the Senate Agriculture Committee the way it's divided is the reauthorization of child nutrition. Senate Agriculture Committee handles that. 
in the Senate and on the House side, it's the um, Education and Workforce Committee. The Senate Agriculture Committee has said that it has a priority of marking up its child nutrition bill sometime this month. We haven't seen a draft of that. But one of the areas of um, differences was about summer feeding programs. The question was about expansion, or at least making summer foods more available to different types of children. And the commission makes several recommendations on that, sort of little tweaks, um, sort of things that people could sell as common sense changes, such as in rural areas, giving the providers the flexibility to take the food to the kids rather than setting up a central location that might be inaccessible. CQ Agriculture and Food Reporter Ellen Ferguson on the many households in America that don't have enough food to eat. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Oh,